How many of you have heard that song before? So yeah, we got a good crew. So uh, it's one of my favorites. We used to sing that back in Oklahoma at a little Nazarene church I used to go to. We sang that one. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Jesus, it's so wonderful, Lord, to be in your house this morning. Lord, you give us the strength and the courage, you know, to be here this morning, and we're just here to celebrate you. Lord, we ask that this service today be all about you, nothing about us, everything about you, Jesus, because it's because of you, Lord, that we have anything. All of our blessings are because of you, and we give you this day, and we want to celebrate you. So we're going to lift our praises to you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So let's remain standing. Uh, Look in your praise course book. That's what we're going to be in today, your praise course book. We're going to start on number 23, praise course book number 23, and we're going to do one called God Loves a Sinner, and if you can remain standing, great. If you need to sit down and relax, that's not a big deal. We're just here to celebrate Him, so God Loves the Sinner. God loves a sinner, but he hates a sin. I'm going to heaven, but I don't know when. Don't matter what I've done or where I've been. I was traveling a highway made with sin. Till I opened up my heart and let Jesus in. He touched my heart.
seated. Keep that praise book in your hand. You're going to need to go to number one. Number one in your praise book. You'll find a song called I'll Be Listening. I'll Be Listening. I'll turn this for us. You're going to have to bear with the skeleton crew here today. I'll Be Listening. You got it? Here we go. Number one. When the Savior calls, I will answer. When He calls for me, I will hear. When the Savior calls, I will answer. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. all stand to our feet. We're going to have a prayer. I asked Brother Lee to come up. He's going to come up here and pray. And um, we're just going to give this time to the Lord. First thing I want to say is a lot of you knew him. Some of you newer, newer people maybe didn't. But Loretta and I got to visit with Arkansas Tom this last week. Tom Critcher. Yeah. Oh, wow. He was here and then he went over to Snake River and did some fishing with a friend of his, but he still looks pretty healthy. He still has a, can, a little bit of a cancer problem, but, uh, and he got, to, he got to go visit with Frank and Eunice, too. So. But he, he, it was neat to see him again. 
He's got a real deep southern accent. One time he went back to visit his, his relation back there. And, of course, I jokingly said, don't come back with an accent. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can live in America. And even though we are concerned about some of the things we're seeing right now, we pray you would encourage our hearts and help us to walk close with you. And we do pray that you would be with this message today and bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And so we're going to spend about five minutes here. Just tell somebody that you love them and that God loves them. And then uh, we'll greet one another and then we'll get back together here in a moment. To do or what I was thinking through when I was looking at the music this morning was just really slowing that down at that final song there and really thinking about, you know, what that really means because, um, you know, we really are, you know, listening for our name because Jesus is going to call out our name, you know. So uh, I always ask uh, when Pastor Steve's out of pocket and we're trying to make everything flow nice and smooth, I always ask my wife Kathleen to come up and do the announcements. So she's going to come up here, and then you'll get something a little bit better to look at while someone, you know, shares the announcements. And, and don't, don't forget my announcements, right? Right, well, you're going to help me. Oh, I okay? am? Oh, yes. shucks. Because there's some very important announcements today, and I don't want to screw it all up, some, you know, like I sometimes do. But first of all, I want to give a big shout-out to our very own Sarah Paisley. Yay. Yay. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what she did. <laughs> Yesterday, we had a July 4th picnic in the back with hot dogs, chips. I want to tell you, this little girl orchestrated it. She uh, set it up. She did the cooking and the cleanup. And I really appreciate it. It was successful. We had about 40 people. Sarah. So also we need people for Sunday snacks. KD is doing it. KD and Tom are doing it for this July, but we need August, September, etc. You buy the snacks for the morning service. You give us the receipt or the treasurers and they will reimburse you. It's just basically your time to go get them, pick them out and bring them in. And then Tom and Joe Terry set them out. So, and then also we need cleanup. And there's a sign-up sheet in there for the snacks and over there for cleanup. And you can get with KD on, on anything you need to schedule, right. and she'll help you. One more thing. There's a, a choir rehearsal. It was supposed to be next week, Saturday. No, Sunday. No, it was supposed to be next Saturday, the 11th, right. at 5 p.m., but we'll be gone. Oh, yeah. Because it's our anniversary. Right. So we're going to yeah, five years. And so it'll be the following week. Yeah. It'll be, it's on, going to be on the 18th at 5 o'clock. Yeah, we moved it. 
And also, this is the help that she wanted. Yeah, this is that. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. right. So, okay, another very important announcement is we're going to have our yearly business meeting July 19th. We're going to have a shorter service. We'll have a 15-minute meeting, and then all the members will be voting for the budget, deacons, and deaconesses. It's a very important meeting. So, we, Yeah, we usually have that in May. We didn't this year because we were closed down. And there is a copy of the budgets out on the podium in the foyer. Right. So if you want to see that, you've got a couple of weeks to kind of review that before uh, the vote and all that kind of stuff goes on that coming Sunday. So that'll make things go quick. Right. Okay, this Wednesday is Bible study. Okay, potluck at 6, Bible study at 645, and we're going to be in chapter, Genesis chapter 37. And if you need any kind of assistance, like prayer assistance, for the prayer, there's Flo. Call her, and she'll put you on the prayer chain, and we'll all pray. And I think I've done it all. Okay. So with the help of Johnny and Sarah, I've done the announcements. Thank you. <laughs> oh, 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 and also the oh, wait, we got one more. Okay, one more. And, and it's a good time to take our offerings, so we're going to ask the ushers to come forward and our instrumentalists to come forward. And we're going to take our offering this morning. Yes, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray once you guys get, get ready. So, so, Lord, we come before you right now, Lord, this offering, Lord, it's, it's, our, it's our way of giving back to you. Uh, uh, you give us everything, Lord, and, uh, and we want to share back as best we can, Lord. So we, uh, we pray that you use this offering to further your kingdom and to reach others for you and uh, just uh, we're thrilled that, Lord, that we can be a part of that. In Jesus' name we praise you. Amen.
Are we ready? Good morning, everybody. I didn't get a standing ovation, but I'm going to speak anyway. I don't know if you saw this joke in the Ashland Locals Guide, but I thought it was great. The doctor gave a man six months to live. Six months went by and the man didn't pay his bills. So the doctor gave him another six months. <laughs> there was a photographer from a national magazine who was assigned to shoot pictures of a raging forest fire. He was told that a small plane would be waiting for him on the local runway and would take him over the fire. He arrived at the airstrip an hour before sunrise and sure enough a Cessna was waiting for him. He jumped into it with his equipment and shouted loudly to the pilot, let's go! The pilot swung the plane into the wind and soon it was airborne. The photographer then said to the pilot, fly over the north side of the fire and make several low passes. The pilot, obviously nervous, said, why? The photographer said, because I'm going to take pictures. I'm a photographer. That's what photographers do. After a long pause, the pilot said, you mean you're not the instructor? <laughs> okay, if you want to open your little book to page eight, you can sing this song with me. Let's see. I don't have you on. Chimes of time ring out the news. Another day is through. Someone slipped and fell. Was that someone you? You may have longed for added strength, your courage to renew. Do not be disheartened, for I bring hope to you. What God can do, what He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. no night for in his life you'll never walk alone always feel at home wherever you may roam no evil power can conquer you oh god is on your side just take him at his promise don't run away and hide secret what God can do what is done for others he'll do for you and you and you with arms wide open he'll pardon you it is no secret what God can do Well, you're in for a real treat this morning. 
Because I just found out I was teaching yesterday at 3 o'clock. <laughs> anyway, I told my wife about the teaching I was planning to share with you this morning. But she said, no, you should share that other one with them. Well, as a spiritual head of the household and as an ordained minister, I stood my ground and I told her, okay, honey, I will. <laughs> so here's that other teaching she wanted me to share. If you have a Bible with you, would you please turn it to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 1. And I will be reading from the NIV. Johnny, 21. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went in the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not know or did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary, but Mary, stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know what they, where to put him or where they put him. I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, she shouted. And she told them what she had seen and the things that had happened to her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word so that we can learn everything about you. And Lord, we just we look so forward each time we get together to finding out what little thing you're going to press on our hearts today. We all come here with different needs, with different expectations, with different things we need from you, Lord, and, and we just we look forward to that still small voice, to that gentle nudge, to however you want to reach out to us, to share with us why you want to work with us particularly in person with each one of us and use the gifts you've given us. So thank you, Lord, for these gifts in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter 1.16, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Back to our story. 
John 21. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. According to the Gospels, Mary did not go alone to the tomb, but had several other women with her. However, she is the one who ran back to the disciples who were hiding out and told Peter and John that the body of Jesus was not in the tomb. Verse 3 says, So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. In case it's not clear, the other disciple is John. (laughs) That's how he refers to himself. By all accounts, John makes it abundantly clear that he is not a prideful man. In fact, he steadfastly refuses ever to use his own name in the gospel. So, if he's not prideful... Why does he mention that he outran Peter to the tomb? (laughs) Answer, who knows? (laughs) Anyway, John is at the tomb ahead of Peter. Verse 5 says, John bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And here's another question, interesting question. Why didn't John go into the tomb? Was he afraid? Was he a scaredy cat? The answer, who knows? Verse 6, Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Two things to note here. First, Peter arrives second at the tomb, but he doesn't hesitate to go in. Was he braver than John? Was he more curious than John? Who knows? Second, a strange, almost eerie detail. The cloth from Jesus' head has been wrapped up and placed some distance from the body linens. What does this tell us? Who knows? Verse 8, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. This is a little confusing, but I think what they're talking about, when John saw and believed, what he believed really was not that Jesus had risen from the grave, but that Mary had told them that the body was gone, and he believed it is empty. It's an empty tomb. Verse 10, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there where Jesus' head had been and one where his feet had been. Now Mary is back at the tomb again. First she stands outside weeping, then she stoops down and looks inside. When she does, she sees two angels dressed in white sitting where Jesus' body had lain, one at his head, the other at his feet. Now, it's very interesting that they would sit like that, one at the head, one at the feet. What do you suppose that signifies? Who knows? Right. Verse 13. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. Why didn't Mary recognize Jesus? Who knows? Verse 15. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I love this about Mary, by the way. She's ready to fight for her Lord. I can see her two little hands clenched into fists and her lip quivering and getting ready. But here's another question. Why did Mary think Jesus was a gardener? Why not a passerby? Why not a mourner? Why not a grave digger? Answer, who knows? Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary... Mary. 
She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This is wonderful. Jesus speaks just her name, Mary. Love that. And everything comes into focus. As Jesus has said earlier in his ministry in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Suddenly she knows who he is. Suddenly she recognizes him. And we can just imagine the love in his voice when he says Mary. Verse 17, Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have yet to return to my father. Not yet returned to my father. Go instead and tell my brothers and tell, go to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my father and your father to my God and your God. Apparently, Mary tried, Mary tried to, to hug Jesus, but he gently waved her off, saying something on the order of, this is now a different phase of my relationship with my followers. It's now no longer physical, but spiritual. So, verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I've seen the Lord. And she told them all these things. And, 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 were they ecstatic? Did they start singing and dancing with joy? Did they hug Mary and kind of whirl her around the room in a big dance? No, they didn't believe her. Mark tells us in Mark 16, 11, when they heard that Jesus was alive that she had seen, and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. And Luke adds in Luke 24, 11, for her words seemed like nonsense to them. <laughs> Here's one final question. Why didn't they believe Mary? Why didn't they believe her? Answer, because... And hear me, because this is a very difficult story to believe. The very idea of someone resurrecting themselves from the dead is a very hard story to accept. But it's true. It's true. It's true. Here's how we know it's true. There's an old saying, the devil is in the details. Well, this morning I would like to say that regarding this story, at least, God is in the details. Let me explain. There are a lot of great fiction writers, and great fiction writing is as individual as the writers themselves. By all, by virtually all, by, I'm sorry, but virtually all great fiction writers share one common artistic trait. They structure their work by planting little seeds of details, which invariably play a significance in the story later. Let me give you an example of this. I made this one up, but here it works. The farmer finished milking the cow only to find out that there was a small bullet hole in the bottom of the bucket. That's what I think. I just made it up, okay? Okay, as a reader, you've already got it. You are supposed to make note. There's a bullet hole in the bottom of the bucket. The bullet hole, beyond a doubt, is leading up to something, and most likely something menacing. And you are absolutely right to make note of it. Any fiction story, in any fiction story, that bullet hole would not have been introduced unless you were supposed to make note of it. So that, when the cow finally draws her gun and shoots the farmer, <laughs> because his hands are so cold, it, just, it doesn't come out of left field. Now consider our story about Jesus rising from the dead. Here's the list that God gave us using the Apostle John to write the story. One, John is a faster runner than Peter. Two, Peter is braver or more curious than John. Three, the cloth from Jesus' head is mysteriously wrapped and placed some distance from the body linens. Two, or four, there are two angels sitting oddly apart from one another in the exact spots where Jesus' head and feet had been. Five, Mary thinks Jesus is a gardener. Okay, all of these details take us where? 
Nowhere. Nowhere. Why not? Because this isn't a work of fiction. It's a work of nonfiction. It's not a work of fiction. And that's the whole point. In any fictional work, John's superior speed would have come into play later. Does it? No. Never. Not in the whole New Testament. It's never mentioned again. In any fictional work, Peter's greater daring do would come into play later. Does it? No. Never. Not in the Old Testament. It's never mentioned again. In any fictional work, the eerie wrapping of the setting of the headcloth and the body linens part would come into play later. Some explanation would be given for why someone would do that. Is there ever an explanation of that? No. Never. Not in the whole New Testament. It's never mentioned again. And this goes on. Even later, when the resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he calls out, Have you caught any fish? They say, not even a minnow. And he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find a lot of fish. And they do, and they catch a lot of fish. When they finally get into shore, God tells us that they caught exactly 153 fish. Not 152, not 154, exactly 153. Why? Who knows? Who knows? Well, I do. This brings us back to 2 Peter 1.16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The single reason that all these pointless little details are mentioned in Scripture, and hear me on this, is because they are true. It's true. It's true. It's because that's what happened. It's because without these pointless details, God knew he would never believe the story of his son coming back from the dead. God is in the details. He put them there for a reason. He put them there for us so that we would believe. He absolutely knew that 2,000 years later we would be able to look at these curious details and realize that there is no point to them except that they're true. They're true. They're true. And if they are true, then all of it is true. All of it is true. John really did outrun Peter. Peter really did go into the tomb first. The tomb really was empty. The grave clothes, clothes really had been separated. There really were two angels sitting in the tomb several feet apart. Jesus really did appear to Mary and speak to her. And, and on. If Jesus appeared to Mary and spoke to her, then, then, the most important a part of this at all. Jesus really did rise from the grave on the third day in complete victory over sin and death. Period. Period. It's all true. Every word of it. There is simply no other explanation for these seemingly meaningless facts. God is in the details. Believe it. Listen, I've been a professional writer for over 45 years. And I know a lot about writing. But don't send me your manuscripts, please. About 27 years ago, before I became a Christian, I decided to read the entire Bible from front to back to decide for myself if it was true. I started out in Genesis and I eventually got to Lamentations, and I'll never forget this. I was sitting in a small hotel room in Fresno because I was representing, I was presenting at the California Reading Association annual meeting, and I was reading my Bible, agonizing my way through Lamentations. <laughs> My wife called and eventually asked me how my Bible reading was coming. Didn't care how I did it at the conference. I told her that I was about ready to quit. She said, skip ahead to John. Skip ahead to John. 
Well, even back then, as the man of the house, I firm, firmly stood my ground and told her, okay, I will. <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history. And listen to this. When I first read the chapter of John, I realized that whatever he was trying to explain, whatever he was trying to sell me, was just so convoluted, so completely perplexing, that it had to be true. It had to be true. There was simply no other reason for why he would have taken the time to write what he wrote. You see, he wasn't just wearing a t-shirt and saying, vote for Pedro or vote for Jesus. He wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I'm going, huh? What? Who? Who is who? What? Vote for who? Anyway, that one little spark, no one would write this unless it was true finally ignited my mind and eventually ignited my heart for Jesus Christ. And over the years, I have made another major observation. Here's the deal. The Bible consists of 66 different books written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years in 13 different countries on three different continents in three different languages by a wide variety of types of people, including doctors and farmers and fishermen and kings and tax collectors, shepherds and tent makers, to name a few. And yet... And yet, and yet, now listen, the entire Bible is written in exactly the same voice. The whole thing in exactly the same voice. You see, as a writer, I'm extremely sensitive to the voice of authors. In fact, one of the reasons I don't like to read Stephen King novels is because I can always hear him snickering at his keyboard. I'm not kidding. I, I, I hear him when in his writing. But invariably, this is true for all of us authors. No matter how hard we try, at some point, our egos always steal through into the work. But this doesn't ever happen in the Bible. It never happens. In the entire Bible, there is no trace of human ego at all. Why not? Because it wasn't authored by humans. It was authored by God. Yes, there are different styles. Paul writes differently than John, writes differently than Moses, writes differently than Isaiah, but it's all the same tone. It's all the same complete absence of ego. It's all the same voice. It's all God. It's all God. Skeptics are quick to point out that several passages in the gospel seem to contradict one another. First, both Matthew and Mark report seeing only one angel at the tomb. Luke and John report seeing two. So, how many angels were at the tomb? Two. Two. One who did the talking and one who didn't. Second, when Jesus was visiting the Gadarenes, Matthew reported two seeing two demoniacs. But Mark and Luke, Luke reported seeing only one, and John doesn't report on the, the scene. How many demoniacs were there in the Gadarenes that day? There were two. One who did the talking and one who didn't. A man named James Wallace, a retired homicide detective from Los Angeles, likes to point out that these differences are what actually make the entire Bible completely reliable. This is what makes them reliable. You see, he has noticed in his 30 years of detective work that people who tell the identical version of the same story are always up to something because no two people tell the same story in exactly the same fashion unless they're lying unless they've prepared their story ahead of time. They just don't do it. Everybody has a different perspective. Everybody sees things. Everybody hears something. It's never exactly the same. And that's how they were able to find out, you know, they're lying. And although no other book in history has ever been so thoroughly scrutinized, 
criticized, demonized, and ostracized as the Bible, there has never been one proven contradiction in all scripture. Not ever. In closing, 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you know that you have eternal life. Isn't that interesting? What he's really saying, I believe, is this. These things I have written to you, even though you already believe in the Son of God, that you may truly know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the Son of God. You see, it never stops. The need for reassurance, the need for confirmation, the need for affirmation. All of us struggle with our Christian faith at one time or another. But here's what God would have us re-believe this morning, and hear me on this. The Bible is true. God is real. Jesus is alive, and you are saved. Four things. And finally, Jesus tells us in Luke 12, 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I think it's wonderful that God has even numbered every hair on our heads. And that's why I like to say, God is in the details. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have taken all the steps that we need to continue in our faith. Even after we've received the Lord, the doubts we will suffer from time to time. When things aren't going well, when a good friend passes on, whatever, things that challenge our belief, you've given us a way to go back and believe. There isn't a word in your whole Bible, Lord, that is made up or fake or false by any sense of the imagination. Lord, we believe in you 100%, and we will rely on this wonderful word of yours for future belief. In Jesus' name. Now, before I go into the last song, I want to share something with you. These are very difficult times for all of us. And for the past few months, I have been fervently praying for revival, a new revival. One that would bring today's angry rioters off the streets and into the kingdom, just like in the 1972 revival that helped end a rioting to the people who were coming back from the Vietnam War. This song is based on something that Paul wrote to Timothy at the church in Ephesus. He wrote in 2 Timothy 1.6, Fan the flame the Spirit of God has put within you. Fan the flame. And this song is a vision that. You have a copy of this in what you were given. I played this a long time ago. I think when I first got here a couple years ago. But... I just thought it was time to hear this and time to think about its words, and I think you'll like this. It's very easy to uh, catch on to. Revive us, revive us, revive us with your fire. Sure as gold is precious and the honey sweet So you love this city and you love these streets Every child out playing by their own front door Every baby laying on the bedroom floor And I can hear that thunder in the distance 
Like a train on the edge of the town I can feel the brooding of your spirit Lay your burdens down Lay your burdens down Every dreamer dreaming in their dead-end job Every driver driving in the rush hour mob I feel it in my spirit, feel it in my bones You're gonna bring revival, bring them all back home And I can hear that thunder in the distance Like a train on the edge of the town I can feel the brooding of your spirit Lay your burdens down Lay your burdens down Revive us Revive us Revive us with your fire From the preacher preaching when the well is dry To the lost soul reaching for the higher high From the young man working through his hopes and fears to the widow walking through a veil of tears Every man and woman, every old and young Every father's daughter, every mother's son I feel it in my spirit, feel it in my bones You're gonna bring revival, bring them all back home I can hear the thunder in the distance Like a train on the edge of the town I can feel the brooding of your spirit Lay your burdens down Lay your burdens down Revive us So good. I hope uh, you will take this home with you. The easiest way to help a revival start is to be outreachers. Take a gift you've been given, talk to people, invite people to the church here, invite friends, just be nice, smile. You don't have to be very knowledgeable in the Bible. Just uh, be a wonderful person like you all are anyway. And just uh, help build our fire. Help put fan this into flames. We all have a fire burning within us. It's called the Holy Spirit. And by taking in more and more and more of the Holy Spirit, he enlarges himself within us. So what I do whenever I go to talk to people or play for them, I always pray pretty heavily for him to 
fill me with his power because I, I just don't have it in my own self. But you do too. You have everything I have. So anyway, we're going to uh, close right now. Would you like to come and join me, John? Uh, turn to page 43 in your songbook. And uh, this is a song I just happen to like. <laughs> you want to all stand, please? I'm satisfied with just a cottage below a little silver everyone and a little gold but in that city where the ransom will shine I've got a gold that silver line I've got a mansion Have a wonderful Sunday, everybody, and we'll see you next Sunday.